0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.
1: What if everyone was turning their head to look at you with a brand new Flowmaster exhaust system from Exhaust Pro in Macomb on Georgia Avenue? Cruise in style with Exhaust Pro of Macomb on Georgia Avenue. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi.
0: Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines.
1: everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard. Along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts Fodder and fine music. Rhino, it is the last day of the first month of 2023. We have made it. Time flies when you're having fun. (laughs) Oh, there's some folks having fun down there at the Capitol, though, aren't there? Sure does seem like it. Yeah. And tomorrow, the final day that one can qualify as a candidate in the coming elections in Mississippi, we're going to the polls in November to vote for the whole lot of them, aren't we? (laughs) 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 We're going to have fun with that, golly. So, yesterday, you probably saw that former Supreme Court Justice Bill Waller announced he will not seek seek election. Squashed the rumors. Yep. That pretty much ended that deal. He is not a candidate for governor. But, uh, of course, Governor Tate Reeves, the incumbent, does have... At least one challenger on the Republican ticket, right? Dr. Witcher? Correct. Have there been any more? I'm not sure. I need to take a look at
2: that. I remember seeing a couple rumors about a couple other people that were considering it or had filed the paperwork, but were missing
1: a couple things. But yeah, I'll have to double check. Yeah. We'll take a look at that. Of course, the big news is that State Senator Chris McDaniel yesterday qualified while we were here on the air. I think we were talking to Democratic candidate for Secretary of State, Shawaski Young, at the precise time that State Senator McDaniel was signing his paperwork down there at GOP headquarters as a candidate for lieutenant governor. He will, of course, challenge incumbent Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. Oh, boy. buckle
2: up. Yeah, as of right now, there are only four candidates, two in the Democrat primary and two in the Republican primary. Okay.
1: So, still got... Got to 5 o'clock tomorrow. 24 hours and change at this point. I don't expect any surprises, though. Do you? I don't think so. Nah. So, interesting coincidence in that yesterday, right after we completed our interview with Shawaski Young, who's, of course, the Democrat candidate for Secretary of State. I hot-tailed out of here, as I always do on Mondays. Ricky Matthews comes in, 1205, for Super Talk Outdoors. I hot-tailed it to my Rotary Club. And who was the speaker? None other than current Secretary of State, Michael Watson. <laughs> so I got a fill of both of them there in this span of an hour. Uh, He indicated he would go back and listen to Mr. Young's interview. I'm sure he will. That'll be interesting. So we've already seen, have we not, a bit of fireworks in the lieutenant governor's race. A statement. Well, first we had lieutenant uh, governor candidate Chris McDaniel, present state senator from Jones County, he of course, it's is to be expected. He he t- took some shots at the current Lieutenant Governor in his announcement remarks. You would expect that. I mean he he's making the case for why me instead of him. It's I get that. The Lieutenant Governor's team they wasted no time with the response. So we're just we got a barb. <laughs> session going on, I guess you could call it. Yeah, it hadn't quite gotten up to mudslinging. No. It's just barbs at this point. Bants. Yeah. As the prince would call it. Okay. Uh, Casey Phillips, senior advisor for the Delbert-Hoseman for lieutenant governor campaign, stated, issued a statement, quote, after being rejected by Mississippians in three failed statewide campaigns, the least effective politician in the state with the largest ego is running again this time for lieutenant governor I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say we'll see some retort from the McDaniel campaign and we'll just keep that that process that sequence going for a while what do you think
2: oh yeah leading up to a debate or
1: five I think that'd be great I would like to see a debate I, I will say this Talk. I feel
2: like that's going to be like a tough ticket to beat and will only be beat by a potential debate between Governor Tate Reeves and challenger Brandon Presley. Whoa, that's going to be fun.
1: So, uh, oh, yeah, let me go ahead and tell you who we got on the show today. At 11.05, John Pope, Collins Fire Chief and President of the Mississippi Firefighters Association. He's going to come in and talk about this bill we discussed Last week, and I think it was uh, it was that was prompted by a text we received asking about the bill HB five two one, and this is a pro, uh, pro, it was would sort of establish a program where firefighters would receive bonuses, financial bonuses, based on length of service. So we look forward to talking to Chief Pope about that, and then at twelve o five, Lucian Smith. Former chairman of the Mississippi GOP, regular guest host on the Gallo Show and on this program middays, he's going to come in and we shall proceed to to break down yesterday's State of the State address delivered by Governor Reeves. That was followed by candidate Democrat candidate Brandon Presley's current public service commissioner in the northern district of Mississippi. He delivered a response. I did uh, I did watch the response. It was, um, I don't know if it was published live or not. I'm usually not on the television. But I did catch it on YouTube. It's, it's uh, been published on YouTube, on his Twitter account, etc. So I watched it. It's about nine minutes. So Lucian and I will... We'll take some turns going through what we heard from what appears to be the general election at this point. I think that's pretty safe to say. Uh, I'm calling it now, isn't that what they said? <laughs> Call it now, that's the general election. But you're right, the, uh, a debate between those two would certainly be, I think, entertaining and very instructive.
2: I mean, it's the only one that's more likely to happen.
1: You don't think the lieutenant governor and Chris McDaniel will debate?
2: I mean, I think that will happen. I think there will be enough pressure on both sides for it to happen. But in a primary, the incumbent really only has things to lose in a debate. So it would it would take Delbert Hosman's camp feeling confident in that they would gain something
1: by doing the debate. Okay. Fair enough. So M- Senator McDaniel... Essentially, held that Lieutenant Governor Hoseman is a is a moderate, and he said that we can't we can't uh, compromise with moderates. And I think this is fairly consistent with the uh, with the senators talking about Chris McDaniel. I think that's sort of been his posturing in the past. He, of course, holds himself, fashions himself as a a, a very principled and consistent conservative and uh he he of course is always run in these statewide races against an incumbent, right? I had to think about that. I think the the ones that the lieutenant governor's spokesperson d- discussed in that statement. And, and incumbents of course have a they have a voting record. They have a track record. And so that's fair game. And uh he proceeded to call out the lieutenant governor's uh, experience and his track record there. And that's all fair. Hmm. We'll see where all that goes. Ought to be fun, No doubt about it. Casey Phillips, of course, the senior advisor for the Hosman campaign, says Lieutenant Governor Hosman's conservative record is clear implementing voter ID to secure our elections, delivering the largest tax cut in Mississippi history, and overseeing a major teacher pay raise. Results matter, and Delbert delivers. Hmm. Well, it's going to be fun. I can't wait for Lucian to come in at 12.05 and see uh, what he thinks about the state of the state. And, of course, Brandon Presley's response. we got a whole lot more to talk about as well here on Middays. We're in the Element Well Studios. We're coming right back.
0: with Gerard Gebert. What? What? This yes. is yes. so awesome. awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Welcome back to Middays from the Element Wealth Studios. It's the final day of January. I have noticed, Rhino, that the days, of course, are getting a bit longer in that the light is staying around a little longer. It's not 5 o'clock and it's just pitch black. It's more like, what, 545? We're we're
2: creeping ever closer to a 6 o'clock sunset.
1: Yeah, I agree. And
2: then then before long, it'll be 9 o'clock at night before the sun goes down and we'll all be sweating. I'm
1: perfectly fine with that. I just want you to know... I'm an outside, late at night, sweating kind of person. I uh, prefer that.
2: So, Whereas I'd prefer the cold, because the way I see it, you can always put on more layers and stay comfortable, but you can only get so naked
1: before somebody calls the cops. That's true. (laughs) That's true. It's easier to protect from the elements. It's just a limit to how far you can go when it's hot. So let me just quote here from Senator State Senator Chris McDaniel's remarks during his announcement yesterday. I just want to be as uh, totally, I guess, transparent and not distort what anybody's saying, uh, certainly from uh, the perspective of what will likely be a very contentious race here in the state of Mississippi, is what he said. We cannot fall for the trap that moderates have set for us. We cannot fall for the trap that Democrats have set for us. There is no honor in compromise. There is only weakness in surrender. There's no such thing as a left or a right. It's either up or it's down. So I I wanted to ensure that we passed on the verbatim quote remarks made by Senator McDaniel yesterday. I, I believe in the last segment, my analysis of it at a high level was still accurate. he That was the theme throughout his remarks, that the lieutenant governor is a moderate. And once again, you've got some history to point to. That's always the risk of an incumbent, is they've got a track record. They've got a resume that's brought to the table. So challengers can, of course, pick those apart, feast on those. If there have been some moves that are believed to be unpopular with the voters. So I think we're going to see again the elimination of the income tax, which passed the House, was watered down to uh, less than full elimination, but a phasing in of a reduction of the income tax once it got through the Senate and got to the Governor's desk. So Many would hold the lieutenant governor responsible for blocking full elimination as contemplated by the House. I will point out, however, that the original House bill that did that was met with a great deal of resistance because it also included increasing sales taxes in some situations. And also, the... uh, support by the Lieutenant Governor for Medicaid postpartum coverage, unwillingness to back unproven election fraud claims, and unproven, and, and all I mean by that is that no courts have said, yeah. I mean, that's the standard. We can certainly look at lots of third parties who have provided some fairly compelling evidence, but in this country, The law rules. Thankfully, that's what we want. Thus far, arguments have not been made sufficient to get any court to deem that there was significant fraud. Uh, Also, something that right off the bat, when the lieutenant governor assumed office, was appointment of various Democrats in the Senate to committee chairs. And that was met with, I think, a a, a lot of angst, I think that's fair to say, even by supporters of the Lieutenant Governor, and so Chris McDaniel is highlighting that. He says, unfortunately, the current Lieutenant Governor does not share those beliefs. He has chosen a different path that leads our party into a weaker and less conservative position. His beliefs align more with the Democratic Party than they do with the party of Reagan and Goldwater. Now, what's interesting about that, and I know from prior campaigns, Senator McDaniel has received considerable inspiration from President Ronald Reagan and Barry Goldwater. And, of course, there are... I think really strong conservatives that would pick apart Ronald Reagan as anything but conservative. You've seen the, you've seen the flack there, right? Immigration, debt, raising Social Security taxes, and one that is front and center in this healthcare environment across the country that we've discussed before is MTALA. That's basically without reading to you what the acronym stands for. It's basically a federal law that requires emergency rooms that are associated with hospitals that participate in federal Medicare or Medicaid to stabilize any patient that is admitted to the ER. They must admit them, in fact, if they're ill, and stabilize them whether they can pay for it or not. So. He does somewhat conflict with the concept, with the principles of a free market, and a free market, you know, sellers of their goods and services are allowed to say, if you can't pay me, I don't have to do the work. That does not apply in health care. And therein lies really the fundamental problem of why so many healthcare institutions, especially those that operate ERs, are struggling financially. ERs in general are money pits. Uh, Any hospital will tell you that. That's not to say there's not a whole lot of abuse that goes on. You know that. In ERs, folks show up, really aren't experiencing any sort of urgent medical conditions. It's not emergent. But you can't chance it. can't risk it. And you know if you did, and you made the wrong call... Oh, my gosh, A 1,000 lawyers would darken the sky and own the hospital before it we're over with. That's part of the problem as well. So this will be uh, interesting, interesting to watch at a minimum. Let's check the C Spire text line, which, of course, is 601-879-4395. Go back here to uh, earlier on in the program. Here we go, Ben from Madison. Gerard, I listened to the State of the State address last night. I noticed Governor Reeves saying some very very familiar things when he was speaking about innovation, technology, and disruption of the free market when he was addressing health care. Sounded very much like many of the things you've spoken about regarding health care, but more specifically, HB 401. Hopefully, it is a sign he plans to veto 401 when it gets to his desk No doubt. Governor Reeves listens to your program. Well, I appreciate that, Ben. I I do know the governor occasionally tunes in, uh, but more importantly, as Rhino knows, uh, for many of these elected officials at that level that have staffs, their staffs tune in. And sometimes they go back and they review the programs from our archives. The Supertalk team does a fantastic job of archiving our content through a variety of media and accessible on just about anything that could connect to the Internet. And that's just a sign of the times of disruption, which we've talked about. You can't just broadcast over the air and it go away, like the old days of radio, right? One way to send it, one way to receive it, and no chance of getting it back. unless you, Like I have in the past, when I was a kid, is uh, put a little... I say a little, a tape recorder that would be about 6 by 6 and have cassettes in it that you would stick up to the radio to record stuff you wanted to, uh, to save and replay. But think about how that's changed our world. It's for the good, right? Well,
2: well the, all the video stuff, though, is ruining the joke about face for radio. That's,
1: that's true, because we're all on video now, so whatever, whatever you see is what you get. I think, as the saying goes. Well, Ben, HB 401, let's remind folks, uh, Rhino, this is the bill that we've been quite outspoken about in opposition to that would significantly restrict the route to market for the sale of a new vehicle in the state of Mississippi. It essentially would require all new vehicle sales to flow through an independently owned brick-and-mortar storefront dealership located within the boundaries of the state of Mississippi. I got the same impression, Ben. I was unable to listen to the governor's state of the state, but I did go back and read the text, and I saw the exact same thing, and there's no question about it. Disruption is the way of the world, and the governor gets that. And I I hope that he's not in favor of something that may short-term, I guess, kind of fend off some of that disruption. But long-term, and I mean long-term is in the next three or four years. That's long-term cycles these days. uh, You're just delaying the inevitable. I agree with you, Ben. We'll get to much more on middays. We're in the Element Well Studios. We're coming right back. She
2: goes away.
0: FM.
1: Adoring fan. it's time for
0: middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Rocks.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to Middays. We're in the Element Well studios. A new poll finds that 71% of Americans believe the country is on the wrong track. What was really most stunning about the poll is that independents in particular, which are key to winning elections especially presidential elections. And they also say that, that the country is on the wrong track. I was, uh, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. I think, generally speaking, there's sort of a negative sentiment out there, but that, that's a pretty high number, 71%. And that includes uh, Democrats as well that all adults are just broadly pessimistic the right directions the uh, 23% of all adults say the country is headed in the right direction of course 41% of democrats say it's headed in the right direction and I want to meet these 7% of Republicans that say it's headed in the right direction. What do they like about that? That's interesting. You know, when you got less than two years away from the presidential election, you would think that wouldn't bode well for the president, but who the heck else they got? Wonder boy Gavin Newsom? Kamala? Dawg oh, Newsom's going to give it a good old college try. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could look at his state and point all kind of fingers to the failures. Poverty, homeless, homeless, despite this re- the highest taxation of all 50, have the biggest income gap.
2: Which is why I think he's going to give it the good old college try, because that's all his social
1: media feed is, is pointing his fingers at other states. You're right about that. That's precisely right. Considering a wealth tax, schools are upside down, immigration, problematic. Their infrastructure, by the way, is crumbling. He went from having a tidy surplus to a big deficit, $25 billion this year. It, uh, it doesn't bode well for him. Also a report this morning that Senator Tim Scott from the great state of South Carolina, is headed to Iowa. You know what that means. He's thinking about running for president. Would not be surprised at all. How about that? Donald Trump, Tim Scott, Ron DeSantis, potentially Nikki Haley as well, filing on the uh, Republican ticket. So that should be interesting, how that works. More from yesterday's remarks by Senator Chris McDaniel. I think it's important to uh, to point this out. He uh, he he to to a great extent, I believe, made amends with the uh, the Cochran folks. Certainly, based on his comments here, he he recalled the contentious campaign against Senator Cochran in '14, and that was a very contentious, maybe the most contentious in state history, certainly the most historical when you consider all the, the events that surrounded that campaign, including the nursing home scandal and suicide of Mark Mayfield that um, lives in my neighborhood, by the way, Went to, was at college with him at the same time, had a couple of classes. So Senator McDaniel said he always respected the late Cochrane. even if they disagreed. He said he'd like to meet with a family. Thus far, the Cochrane family has, has not agreed, has refused to meet with him. It's been nine years. Senator McDaniel said he's changed in the years since that campaign, hopes to run a campaign based on policy arguments rather than personal conflicts. I think all of us would like to see that in honesty. I'm all about policy. I want to be clear about this, he says. I want us to work hard, but I want us to do it the right way. I want to see people out there treat each other with respect and dignity. They say a year in politics is an eternity. Well, that was nine years ago, nine eternities. That's water under the bridge. So that's uh, that's the message, at least yesterday. I, I'll offer this, I know, and it to some extent goes back to Ben's assessment of the governor's State of the State address, we discussed that, where the governor just talked about how innovation and technology are really the solutions to many of our problems, not just here in Mississippi, but, but through, throughout history, the world's problems. Discussed that somewhat in my article with respect to the vehicle sales bill. But I think what people want to hear, I know I do, I want to hear, how are you going to make me freer, safer, more prosperous, and map out a plan to provide more opportunity for future generations. That's what I want to hear. Specifically, what policies will achieve that? How do we get there? What's the roadmap for that? It's easy to toss stones back and forth about, you're this, you're not that, you did this, you did that. The whataboutism stuff. It just kind of gets old. It gets long in the tooth, the rhetoric. I want to hear specifically what do we do. An example is the Medicaid debate. I know, strong feelings. We talked about it on both sides, pro and against, anti-Medicaid expansion. Okay, fine. From the pro-expansion folks, we need more details. We need more information. How does this positively affect the financial well being of healthcare institutions and providers and the population? Give me some statistics, some data that we can sink our, hand, our, our, our heads into. So, for example, take your present financial statement and plug in the what if scenario, the pro forma if we expanded Medicaid and see how that affects. And I I know that to a great extent that's speculative. It's an estimate. But you've got some data where you know your patient's senses that produced that particular financial outcome. You you know who was uninsured. You should know, generally speaking, whether or not they would have qualified for Medicaid reimbursement. And then the... the, uh, Contention from opponents of expansion, they would say, "Well, Medicaid reimburses below cost, which is true or right at about cost. It's not, it's not a profitable program for the hospitals. And so they say, "Well, expanding Medicaid means we'd have more people showing up at your hospitals because they got Medicaid, and you just lose more money." We used to have, a say, to my business, we lose a little bit on every sale, but we make it up in volume. <laughs> Same deal applies. Hey, that's a reasonable argument. But surely somebody's got some data. Because if they're not showing up at all for to receive medical treatment and health care, where are these people? What's happening to them? Are they just disappearing, dying alone, without any care whatsoever? I have a hard time accepting that, that that's what's happening. So I think there needs to be some work put into this from from both sides, and then from those who oppose it, I don't feel like it's sufficient just to say, well, that's not going to fix the problem. I I agree. I don't think it fixes the problem either. But then, what would? What would fix the problem? The, The fact of the matter is, and this just doesn't apply in Mississippi, there are 30 million people in this country that are uninsured, about half of those it's reported, are uninsured because they want to be uninsured. They're young, healthy. And the original plan in, in Obamacare, it got unraveled by the Sup- Supreme Court, was that every person would have insurance. And really. Or pay a fine. That's right. And they felt like the fine would encourage people, and they'd have very few that would not acquire, insure, obtain insurance, because they didn't want to pay the fine. And, and you know, the insurance companies, a lot of people think the insurance companies opposed Obamacare. In fact, it's just the opposite. They supported it, and you know why? Because it was the government requiring everybody to buy what they sell or pay a penalty. And in fact, the insurance executives were mad because the fine got watered down in the final version. They wanted a stiff fine so that nobody Would go without insurance. And who they wanted was the young people who don't get sick to pay insurance to pay for the cost to care for the old people. That's what they envisioned. Coming back with more on Middays. Stay with us.
0: Come on. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert.
3: All right, we are
0: back on Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: in the Element Wealth studios. Go to MyElementWealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income growth and guarantees. And you know, country music superstar Morgan Wallen is coming to Oxford and Talk Mississippi is going to give you an opportunity to win tickets. I think it's tomorrow. Right, starts tomorrow. Tomorrow we start that. You'll find out how you can win this Morgan Wallen ticket giveaway will be brought to you by First South Farm Credit, King's Daughters Medical Center, Jumpstart Test Prep, and Toyota of Brookhaven. And if your business would like to take part in this incredible promotion, contact your local Supertalk Mississippi media sales rep. To find out more, email us at sales at supertalk.fm. That ought to be fun. Andrew from Dennis wants to know where can I find the barbs from the Hosman campaign. Well, at this point, I think it's I think there's only one, but it's Casey Phillips, the senior advisor for the Delbert Hosman for Lieutenant Governor campaign. I just perhaps search for that. Casey Phillips is the name, and I'm sure you'll find it there, Andrew. So, uh Something else here on the C Spire uh, text line, yeah. Tom and Carthage said I saw you on a little clip on the news last night. Man, you got the best hair on talk radio, <laughs> talking about the, uh, uh, yeah, talking about the uh, the video that has invaded the radio world. Yeah. Well, that's why I got to get up and take care of it every day, Tom, because I know I'm going to be <laughs> on video. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate that. Tim and McGee says, That's why Miss Sojourner is trying to get the age limit bill passed because of Senator McDaniel. I think the last time she got involved with Senator McDaniel, she lost her bid for reelection. I think. Well, Tim, I hear you, but let's clarify, because the bill that would preclude a person from running for office, state office in Mississippi, if they have attained the age of 75 by the election would not be effective, would not impact this coming election. In fact, should that measure, it's a resolution because it would amend the Constitution, does not require thus the governor's signature. Should that pass the two houses, it would be referred to the ballot in the upcoming coming statewide race elections. And uh, so the people of Mississippi would decide whether or not they want to amend the Constitution to include that restriction. So you can't really connect the dots like that. I understand what you're saying, Tim, but we did verify that. And I went and looked and said, yeah, this is a resolution. That means it's in the Constitution. That means the people have to vote on it in accordance with our Constitution. Amending the Constitution requires the people to vote on it at the ballot. When do you think somebody will start seeing the issue with litter in the state, doing something about it. I think we have laws on the books. Rhino, you looked it up last week and shared that with our audience. I think it just happens that nobody sees them. It's disgusting. It's despicable. I totally agree. And it's just it's disrespectful, among other things. But I wonder how much of this is a function of just not being reared right. That's where a lot of this bad behavior comes from. They see. They're adults in their life, do it, likely. And then they grow up to be uh, adults, and they just continue that. It's disrespecting the property of others. Well, let's see, here's a couple other things. Scott and Clinton says, I'm convinced that if Chris McDaniel didn't associate with shady folks who sneak into a nursing home to take picture of his opponent's wife and then cancel a uh, scheduled interview with JT, he would be U.S. Senator Chris McDaniel. Lots of speculation on that. It's really hard to say. Uh, Dan in Hattiesburg, McDaniel is all talk and no action. He talks the talk and then votes present. And let's just clarify, Rhino, because we're going to have to deal with this for several months. It's McDaniel, not McDaniels. There's no S on the senator's last name. I'm good with a sales tax increase and elimination of the income tax. That way, everyone, including people paid in cash, has to kick a little in the kitty. The, the issue with that, of course, there are numerous issues, is that there are various carve-outs of the sales tax rate for the sale of certain items, farm implements, automobiles, manufactured housing, um, consumption of power by farmers, those Uh, Those commercial bills are not subject, charges are not subject to sales tax. They are to the non-farming commercial entities. And then, of course, it's the retired folks who are exempt from income tax. Their income is exempt from it, most of their income in Mississippi, from income tax. So they don't have an income tax liability. Now, increasing the sales tax would mean their taxes would rise slightly based on their purchase of items subject to the sales tax. Those are the arguments against it. Wow, federal changes to health care have been moved to nationalize. Yep, talking about that. We're taking a break right now. Coming back with John Pope, the Collins Fire Chief. Stay with us.
0: Get ready. Get ready. To go beyond the headlines. And join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays Live from the Element Wealth Studios. Uh, Joining us now, John Pope, the chief of fire, uh, the fire chief, I should say, for Collins, Mississippi, and also the president of the Mississippi Firefighters Association. John, thanks for coming on on Middays. Appreciate it. Thanks, Gerard. It's a pleasure to be here. So, we touched on this bill last week on the program, and it was the result of a text we received on our ceasefire text line. Someone was asking about HB 521. And this is a program, as I recall, that would provide uh, financial rewards to firefighters, volunteer firefighters, right? That's correct. Specifically, volunteer. Yes. That um, achieve certain length of service. That's correct. So th- I think the goal there is just to, to keep them serving as long as possible and, and have a little financial incentive out in the future for them to do so.
4: It is. The, uh, the bill, uh, 521, is the Length of Service Awards Program, or LOSAP. Uh, there are 33 other states that have similar programs with great success. And the true uh, need for this bill is, is for the recruitment and retention of volunteer firefighters. The Volunteer Fire Service protects over 85% or more Hmm. of the communities in the state of Mississippi. Uh, People more than likely, if they ever have a need for emergency services in their lifetime, they'll be touched by a volunteer firefighter. Hmm. If they have an accident on the side of the highway, uh, traveling to here or there, uh, uh, home fire in their home, uh, medical emergency such as that, they have a higher chance they may be touched by a volunteer firefighter hmm. uh, because they protect such a large portion of our communities throughout our state and throughout our nation. But really what really drove this is is that there's been a, a big decrease in volunteerism in the fire service. We know there's a decrease in volunteerism across the board uh, in this day and time. But in the fire service uh, in Mississippi, we've seen about approximately maybe a 30% decrease uh, in volunteer firefighters in in the last number of years. So now we're probably at around 9,000 or so men and women that volunteer to serve in their local communities. But as you said, this bill would provide incentives based on meeting criteria Mm -hmm. uh, through the uh, program that qualify them to receive points. They'd have to receive a minimum number of points annually to receive the financial contribution into the defined benefits fund. And then after 20 years of credible service and certified service, they would receive uh, the lump sum payment plus the interest that those dollars received during that time frame. Okay, so it's uh y- yeah, it, and you said it's a defined benefit. Program, That's correct. Right? It's a defined okay. benefit program. Be managed by uh, some type of you know financial management type group. There's different ones that do that now uh, that are doing it for other states, and um, you know, like I say, had great success, and it's just a, a good tool to be able to keep yeah. good people serving communities. So just just to clarify the uh, the volunteer firefighter
1: would not be required to contribute their own funds to the
4: program. No, that's that right? right. This would be strictly from dollars through the program. Okay. A question that came up yesterday, we had a a Zoom meeting at the State Fire Academy had some questions asked and they said, "Well, could cities or counties or the individual firefighters contribute more?" The way the program is is intended and set to be now that this would be the defined benefit from the state side. Um, that would come from that, and then if they chose to do something, then what they could do is is they could start their own private type savings type plan like that. Sure. And then these dollars, upon receiving that 20 years service service credit, and they decided to say, okay, I'm going to you know leave the volunteer fire service. They could take that one time lump sum and roll it into their other and help to boost that. If they weren't you know in need of those dollars immediately, I but see. they would not be adding their their skin in the game, so to speak, is their service voluntarily protecting their local community. Okay. So just to clarify now, if they separate and and
1: they cease their service as a volunteer firefighter, that's right. Are they
4: eligible for anything? No. If they if they cease their service and they do not meet that threshold of the the vestment period and the twenty years of 20 service, twenty years. Okay. Then then they would not receive the payout on okay. that. Okay. So it's basically, you know, it's meant to re- recruit and retain, yeah. you know, and keep those people because they, they gain perishable skills and knowledge and training sure. and, and skills to serve. Uh, so, therefore, this is a small way uh, that we can uh, offer them an incentive and a basically, a thank you to say we appreciate you for your service. Um, you know, it's a, uh, you know, at the, end of the, in the, at the end of it, the way the base uh, definition is now, what it would pay is like $500 per year. Yeah. It has uh, the ability to where it could have steps to increase based on longevity, yep. but 500 was the base. So you're saying $10,000 after 20 years of service plus the interest that it would go. Uh, there's a built in cap uh, in there that a minimum of 3% interest that it would gain to where it would have some growth and gains. Um, you know, that way if you drop down to a, you know, a, a quarter-point interest or whatever, uh, to have something to build the stability to it. Uh, but it has garnered so much support throughout the state. Um, I really and truthfully see this in the, in the 26, 27 years that I've been in the fire service. Um, I see this as a, as a bill that could be a true game-changer for the fire service as a whole of the state and also a force multiplier because we're going to see people that say, hey, I might have been thinking about getting out of the fire service, but this is something that motivates me to be able to know because people that are volunteering to be firefighters, they're not doing it for money. Let's just put it this way. At the end of 20 years, $10,000, 500 a year is not a, a lot of money, but it's a small pat on the back and thank you for the risk they take. And the responsibilities they take each and every day to serve their fellow man, and it's yeah. truly a calling.
1: Well, you're so right. When you when you get uh, when you see the goal line, you, you really start thinking seriously about. Well, I'm thinking about exiting, but I within some period of time, and if I just stick around, uh, I've got this bonus waiting for me. That's yeah, right. I, that, that it's a very common practice, as you well know, in the private sector as well.
4: Indeed, and and I was thinking back on the way over here and on the way up to Jackson today. Uh, you know, being here in the studio and sitting across from you, and then for years sitting across from my good friend J.T., and, you know, a uh, great proponent and supporter of the fire service. And we talked about things like this. What can we do to support those that are supporting us and working each and every day? And um, I kind of thought as I was coming over, I said, JT's grinning down right now and smiling yeah. and saying, go get them. You no know, doubt. y'all do this to take care of these people. And and we hope we can get it across the finish line. As, any, as anything, you know, dealing with legislation, um, you know, there's – there's questions that are asked. There's concerns, and um, you know we want to be there to answer those questions. Yeah. Um, and the program, you know, what we have in the def- in the qualifying points proposed, and the way the program is. It can still be adapted. There's a, a set for there to be a board of trustees over it. It would be the uh, commissioner of insurance or their designee, the attorney general or their designee, the state auditor or their designee, and then the state fire coordinator that would oversee this program. And then they could have subcommittees to help to, you know, further strengthen this and stuff. But just uh a good tool to be able to support a lot of communities uh, and a lot of good people that step up to help each and every day.
1: Yeah, so, uh, John, I'm assuming that uh, you guys have, have done some analysis to ensure that this would be actuarially sound as well?
4: Yes, the uh, so the the dollars would come from the fire insurance premium tax. Uh, that fund has been in place for many, many, many years. Um, uh, it's a solid fund. The dollars are there. Um, currently, uh, what this would be is this would be uh, an additional percentage diversion that would go to fund this. Okay. Um, and we, you know, have uh, have numbers that we feel that are, are valid and workable numbers, reasonable numbers. You know, not just pie-in-the-sky, mm-hmm. you know, outrageous ideas. We we have, you know, good numbers, and we've looked at it uh, as it's gone through, uh, you know, when it was being proposed, what other states have done, what other programs have done, and I think it's, in honesty, it's probably modest. I think it's a modest plan. It could be it, it could be a lot bigger than what it is, but we think that this is reasonable. It, it's modest numbers, um, but it's going to provide a very good, tangible benefit. And I think that the state of Mississippi is going to see uh, great yields in it, and I think it's going to yield more safety for the, for the general public. Where does it stand now? Okay, so right now it came out of Jeb B last week. Uh, It's um, double-referred. It was referred to appropriations. Um, So we are uh, still working the process. Um, It's not out there. Of course, um, you know, nothing's dead until Sonny die. Um, We're still working through it. Um, I had today, I had a lot of uh, of phone calls, a lot of strong support uh, from both individuals, firefighters, and and community members, but also from, you know, from legislators and such. Um, And then also from a lot of members from the Senate saying they were looking forward to the bill getting over to that side to try to take it up. So um, we don't have it across yet, uh, but we're hoping that in, in the very near future, that will get the sport it needs to get it through. So right now, um, it's basically setting uh, for appropriations and hoping it'll get taken up.
1: Interesting. Before we go to the Senate, you talked to folks over there.
4: We talked some over there, and they seem very positive on it and stuff. We've talked with uh, uh, those that we feel the committees it would go to, and we're going to continue this conversation and try to move this thing uh, to finish and get it passed.
1: It seems reasonable to me. Uh, again, I, I say from private sector experience, this is this fairly common practice uh, because you make a lot of. Inv- investment in people and you need a way to keep them around and nothing does a better job of that than financial
4: rewards. It is. I mean, it it makes a big difference and, you know, at the end of the day, it's about safety. It is.
1: John, appreciate it. Good luck with that. We'll be tracking it. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Gerard. John Pope, the Collins Fire Chief and President of the Mississippi Firefighters Association, has been our guest on Middays. We're coming right back.
0: Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now onto the real part. Mike on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: I think that's the original version, is it not, of that song, Hazy Shade of Winter. It's been recorded so. by other artists as well. Right here, the tube, I'm watching the Business Channel, and none other than Governor Tate Reeves on there, talking about the possible TikTok threat. Number of governors, as you know, have banned TikTok on govern, uh, government devices. I'm looking at a screen showing the list of those governors. There's a bunch of them. Uh, Looks like half of the states. Here's the governor on the uh, channel right now talking about uh, the state of Mississippi joining the push to ban TikTok on government devices. Correct. A number of universities, a long list of universities, have already taken such action to ban TikTok. That's kind of interesting. Uh, Argo in Blue Springs says, just look at your tax return this year. You can tell who's in office. We need some Trump back. Well, the tax taxes haven't changed for individuals, Argo. We're still under the Trump tax cuts, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the TCJA. We've talked about that extensively here on the program. So the governor right now, I just want to pass this on, is discussing China which has had a history of stealing data using the TikTok app. That's absolutely why. I mean, in fairness, they didn't start about with it. TikTok. No, that's. Uh, and I just saw a report. Speaking of that, the um, concern has been about some network electronic infrastructure made by Huawei, H U W A E I, I believe is the way you spell it. And that's used, their gear is used extensively. In networks operated by the carriers, the folks that, that uh, provide mobile phone service, for example, and, and uh, wireless internet service, just a wireless network in general, it generally includes some Huawei gear. And there's always been concern about China embedding the capability in some of the chipsets to... Um, breach, and capture information, and then send that back to the Chinese Communist Party for some further action. And I I think I saw last night where, and you know Trump has been back and forth on this issue, a lot of the world has, on whether or not to totally prohibit use of their gear in networks uh, outside of China. And I think I saw a report last night where that uh, is looking like it's closer to becoming a reality, more restrictions on the use of Huawei network components in domestic networks. We'll see where uh, that goes for sure. Appreciate John Pope, the Collins Fire Chief, President of the Mississippi Firefighters Association, coming in. But Argo, just wanted to review that. I'm not sure what you're talking about with respect to tax returns this coming year because we still got the Trump tax cuts in effect. Now, we have made a point that at the end of 25, the individual provisions do terminate. They term out. And that means we would return to the the individual taxation policies uh, prior to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that we enjoyed (laughs) under Obama And that means your taxes are definitely going up. I still say this is setting up to be a showdown in Washington, what to do as those individual cuts expire. By the way, the reason they expire is to pass the bill with a simple majority in the Senate because had they been extended for a longer period of time through the 10-year, throughout the entire 10-year period the CBO uses to score legislation, it would have required Democrats support, and it wouldn't have passed. That's the, that's the way the sausage is made, as it is said. No Democrats would sign on. What's crazy is they, they, they point to the fact that the corporate side of the tax cuts was, was per, so-called permanent, it endures for the entire 10 years, whereas the individual are not, and that's because they wouldn't support the individual going out. It's crazy. Well that's because of you. You're pointing you need to turn your finger around and point it at yourself. You know last week this reminds me, we discussed Rhino some of the inaccuracies, I'll call them to be nice in Biden's economic speech. You remember me reading about his his uh reciting, I guess, quoting his comments about the effective tax rate on the billionaires being three percent. And magically, in the official transcript published on the White House website, that was redline, and next to it in brackets was a correction, 8%. Well, he got that wrong. He was supposed to say 8%. My guess is he struggled reading, right, the 3 and the 8, which can look alike. Yeah, depending not much on change. whatever
2: font they had on the teleprompter.
1: Yeah, and how big it was and how close he was and what sort of corrective lenses he happened to have on. I don't know. I've never seen him wear glasses. I don't know if he doesn't wear any corrective lenses or wears contacts. I'm not sure. But I believe the teleprompter likely had 8%. He said 3%. So in the transcript, that and a number of other words that he expressed in the speech were crossed through, red line, with the correction adjacent to it in brackets. Even that sounded fishy to me. So I did a little research. Ah, I get it. You'll love this. The 8%, well, that's based on their these rich folks that he's referring to, these billionaires, actually it was the top 1%, that's based on the increase in wealth that they incurred over a couple of years. Even though they didn't liquidate any of that, they they didn't sell any of those assets, therefore they didn't incur a tax liability. This is going back to the wealth tax, meaning You own an asset for $100 at the beginning of the year. At the end of the year, it was $150, even though you still own it. You'd have to pay taxes on the paper increase. That's how they calculated the 8%. Not, that's what they actually paid, because I looked that up, that was 24% effective rate. They only missed it by by 3x.
2: Just 300% off.
1: Right. So... But why Close lie like that? Why lie like that? Because the, you know this as well as I do. The train sales out there, yeah, we got to go get those people. They only paid 8%. I'm looking at me. I paid 15 No. They paid 24 And most of that's because once they achieve that level of wealth, their income is capital gains. And they hate capital gains. They hate passive income. They want to tax it as ordinary income. But they flat out lied about this. It was assuming had, that they had, would have been taxed in the way that they want, using their methodology, which would have been to tax your just increase of the value of an asset. What they've never explained is what happens over the past year when most everybody lost value in their assets. Tens of trillions, by the way, of wealth has been destroyed because of Biden's policies. Just look at the market. Where do you think all those assets are? That's where a lot of them are. Commercial real estate. We're another place we're like. Housing. Let's be honest. We had a bubble, which was largely driven by the helicopter money and the quantitative easing. So the point is, he just is lying about that. It's not 8%. It's 8% assuming we implemented... The plan you want, and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren wants, which is to tax wealth. Which has never worked. In fact, it failed in Europe so much, so badly, they had to reverse it. It produced less income, less productivity, less innovation. It's just dumb. Taxing wealth. I I just point that out because that's the kind of stuff that really aggravates me. Just be honest.
2: Well, that's the thing. Either they're willfully ignorant, and they just don't know any better, in which case, why would you vote for them? Or they're intentionally misleading,
1: which again, why would you vote for them? I'm all about debating policy when it's rooted in fact. I'm not about debating policy when opponents, proponents of certain policies just lie. And that's just a lie. It just can't say it any other way. That's just inaccurate, blatant falsehood is what it is. No. 8% assuming some vaporware type tax code were passed. Not under the actual, real, legal, lawful tax code. Good grief. We'll step aside for a break right here. Lots of texts rolling in. We'll get right back to those on the ceasefire text line when we return
0: started today middays with gerard gibbert it is on, on super talk mississippi
1: So 69% of independents said the country is headed in the wrong direction. 69% of independents? Doesn't seem like that bode well for an incumbent president seeking re-election. And a recent poll conducted by Gallup just completed on January the 22nd. It started on January the 2nd. Most important U.S. problems. Topping the list. The government, poor leadership. 21% said that, followed by inflation at 15%, immigration 11 economy in general at 10 unifying the country, race relations at 5%. But, Rhino, the race relations at 5%, that just seems to dominate the discussion by the left. Everything is the result of that. The situation in in Memphis, horrific situation. Five black officers and their brutality towards a black citizen resulting in his death. Tragic. Horrific. Horrific. The video, heartbreaking, stunning, abhorrent behavior. But let's examine closely. We got a black female Democrat chief. We got a Democrat mayor. We got five black officers. What the heck's going on? Yet they're pointing to white supremacy as the culprit. Help me connect those dots.
2: That would be impossible.
1: Those dots do not connect. You just describe everything to that. you got to stop. You're never going to solve a problem if everything is because of that. I mean, it's like, no matter what you see, no matter what you discuss, no matter the nature, the source of the problem, in this case, the death of a person, it can't all be white supremacy as long as you continue to pound that drum, you'll never solve any problem. There clearly is a problem in the police department. I just wonder, and I don't know this, but does it have to do, perhaps, with reducing the standards? Because we've certainly seen that across the country. In the name of equity, we've seen a movement to adopt lower standards for everything, all in the name of equity. It doesn't matter if it's employment, grades, admissions, promotions, compensation, appointments. It's all about what you are, not who you are. And that starts with the top. I know we beat that drum to death, and I apologize for that, but it's important. Because it's it, it's indicative of the march to mediocrity that I think is maybe the most serious challenge to this country, and we just no longer seem to, to reward excellence. The withholding of the National Merit Awards in Virginia, that whole ordeal. And you know there's more examples of that. that, that just, got caught, so to speak. Sam from Mount Hermon, Louisiana, says, Gerard, I think this just banning TikTok is great, but what if you work for the state and one of your kids has it on their phone? And what I understand is one phone can pick up information from another and how TikTok still gets the information. I don't know. What do you know about that, Rhino? Is there some sort of connection I mean, theoretically,
2: if it has access to every bit of information on your phone, that could lead to also getting information on another device connected to the same unsecure network. But I don't think there's been any data mining or any code found that allows for that. It is just a theoretical possibility.
1: Yeah, that, that that's honestly sounds a little far-fetched that you would...
2: I mean, you can sign away your rights to everything on your phone yep. when you get TikTok by agreeing to the terms of service. Yeah. I just don't know that the terms of service would allow for collection of data from another device.
1: Yeah, but um, connecting to another device, I mean, at a minimum, you would think it'd have to be on the same network. Correct. If, it, if it's Which I somehow, mean, if it's
2: your kid and you're on the same Wi-Fi at your house, you're on the same network. You should,
1: right. Uh, unless you've got a virtual private network Correct. set up, which you certainly could. But, but that's not, the, I think, the average normal house. So you're going to have one network. But that's that's um, certainly p- possible. But I'd have to think through of uh, how that how that is able to penetrate what defenses should be embedded in the operating system on your phone. I'd have to think about that for a little while. That that would actually be more of a function of of the phone maker's operating system and the way it connects to the network and the way it protects against unwanted intrusion. Un- unrecognized intrusion, to break through whatever those protections are.
2: But in that example, if question, you're a parent huh? and you have a child and it's your account on the child's device, then that's where it gets a little
1: iffy on the permissions. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. But it's it's the Huawei situation where the chips have been engineered to, to filter data as it crosses through the devices, through those network devices, which are Transmitting that data, processing that data, distributing it across the network, routing it. Yeah. And to collect those data streams and then forward those through the network in a uh, discrete way across the pond to the CCP.
2: Yeah. And that's just talking about the interception and dissemination of your data. That's right. Like your text, your emails, your contact list, all that kind of stuff. That doesn't even include the conversation surrounding the different algorithms presented to different consumers of the app. That's right. Because if you download the Chinese version of TikTok in China, you're going to get a a steady stream of what would really be considered educational material. Learning about the foundations of physics. Learning about simple and advanced math. Whereas you get on the TikTok in America, and the algorithm floods you with a stream of nonsense, like eat the Tide
1: Pods, (laughs) do the stupid dance, point at the letters on the screen. Totally different purpose and application of the application. Intentionally, deliberately. Oh, yeah. By the CCCP. Gary Meridian says, always wear your tinfoil hat while watching TikTok videos on your phone. If you set up a separate Apple ID for each phone, then information isn't shared between devices, says Thomas and Greenwood. Well, that, that would make sense. That would be a, a protection built into the Apple operating system, iOS. That would make sense. Sure. And Because you could see where there would be benefit to having multiple devices with the same ID for the purpose of sharing and exchanging information and updating. Because those accounts are linked to the, into the iCloud with the account. He also just sent a story Did Thomas, 6th Memphis officer relieved of duty in Tyree Nichols' arrest. Saw some EMTs as well. You saw that? Apparently they just observed. Didn't really act. Something's going on here, man. That's, something's going on. It's, all this is just crazy. And a person's dead. What appears to be, at least at this point, an innocent person. It's not even clear why they stopped the person, pulled him out of the car. That I've seen, nothing to justify that at this point. Have you? I, I mean, I think that's still no. Where the we only stand. other
2: wrinkle to the story is the officers that committed the assault <laughs> are apparently members of, or were members of, a now disbanded special group called Scorpion, I believe. Yeah that was designed to combat street crime, gangs, and that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Not sure that's the solution, though, is it? Um, I saw Whoopi Goldberg. Did you see her rather controversial comment that only if something like this, police brutality, police abuse, only when that is exerted on a white person will we get serious about changing laws. Okay, Whoopi. You're wrong. He's are just totally wrong. <laughs> st- there
2: is the fatal shooting of Daniel Shaver that's on video. And he's a it's straight true. person that was killed by police.
1: Very true. Thomas says they can't act until the officers allow them to act. He's referring to the EMTs. That's absolutely true. They have to clear the scene right and, and declare it safe for them to do their work. So is it possible they were standing by and then that gets into a situation where do you just act and say no a person's about to die here? I don't know. It's complicated. No doubt about it. Hmm. We'll take a break right here on midday's coming back. We've got Lucian Smith joining us at 1205. We're going to get his thoughts and analysis on the governor's state of the state address yesterday and then Brandon Presley's subsequent response. <laughs>
0: You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: That may be the longest single title for a song. Single word title. <laughs> it's like about fourteen letters, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> you said it's his birthday. It still is. Bill Collins' yeah. still birthday today. How old is he? Seventy two, I wanna say. Jeez. He's uh in sort of failing health, I think, isn't he?
2: Yeah, he hadn't had the best luck with his health, but I do recall seeing a story where he got to perform at the O in the big amphitheater in England with Genesis for one final concert last year. So he's not in bad enough health to uh, have avoided performing at least the last few times. Mm. Got gotcha. you.
1: Well, I uh, wanted to clarify some info I shared uh, about Huawei. What's happened is the U.S. has stopped granting export licenses to U.S. domestic makers of various components that they sell to Huawei to make their gear. Interesting. And a lot of that has to do with 5G technologies, that uh, networking infrastructure that Huawei manufactures. And this is what I love here, Rhino. <laughs> this is from Chairman Mao. <laughs> the uh, He's the Mao Ning is his name, the foreign ministry spokesperson. Mao Ning. The move goes against the principles of the market economy. I'm having a hard time keeping a straight face right off the bat. And rules of international trade and finance hurts the confidence the international community has in the U.S. business environment and its blatant technological hegemony. <laughs> Are you serious? Goes against the principles of the market economy? Your whole damn country goes against the principles of the market economy. He said that in a press conference yesterday. Did... Uh, Mr. Ning, Mao Ning, (laughs) he's mad because the U.S. won't ship Huawei the components they need to make the gear that they use to essentially snoop on U.S. data streams and send it back to China. Sorry. Good grief. Carolyn Starkville says it has to do with the government wanting to become the police state. I actually think it's just the opposite, Carol. What they want to do is defund, dismantle, and totally alleviate police. In my view, they certainly want to do that with the, with the prisons. They want a no-incarceration state. We don't lock anybody up. We don't punish anybody whatsoever for any crime. We, we're we seeking, they, we, being the Democrats, many of them, to decriminalize crime. That's what I think we're moving towards.
2: Yeah, because it's not the criminal's
1: fault. No, of it's course not. Yeah, it's the system. Yes, society. It's your privilege. I'm not making light of the horrible killing of the man in Memphis, says Mose, but apparently... He never watched Chris Ross's How to Not Get Yo' Ass Kicked by the Police. (laughs) Chris Rock. Chris Rock, yeah. That was funny. I remember that. He he goes into great detail as to how to avoid such a scenario. (laughs) No doubt. Uh, Let's see. Deadline day for the initiative process. It will be interesting to see if Senator Polk allows it to survive. That on the ceasefire text line, Ben from Madison. I agree. Not sure what's going to happen there. I think there's some concern that that uh, restoring the citizen ballot process would result in some legislation or some measures, I should say, going to the ballot that many do not support. Medicaid expansions, one of them. Recreational marijuana is another. Recall of statewide officials and legislators, perhaps another uh, abortion. I think those are all prospects for finding their way onto the the ballot, as initiated by citizens through that prescribed process. I I, I think there is some concern. Uh, let's see. What are you saying here? Oh, Dan in Hattiesburg says, by the way, uh, after he's talked about Chris McDaniel, said there are two batches of them in this neck of the woods, and both spellings are used. Oh, talking about the spelling. Okay, it's McDaniel. There's no S, just to clarify, folks. And for what it's worth, none of them care for the senator. Hmm, interesting, Dan. I think he's got fairly broad support, certainly in Jones County, the southern part of the state. You would think he'd be strong in DeSoto County as well, which is... Uh, Quite staunchly to the right, conservative. It's going to be an interesting race, no doubt about that. But we're going to have fun in the next hour with Lucian Smith, former chairman of the Mississippi uh, GOP. We're going to talk about the state of the state and Presley's response.
0: And now, now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now. On Super Talk Mississippi.
1: everyone. Midday's rolling into hour three of the program. We're in the Element Well Studios on the final day of a January of the first month. That's the first month of the year. The legislature down there in session. And of course, this time of year. The governor of the great state of Mississippi he comes forth and delivers a state of the state address, and that's why we got Lucian Smith, former chairman of the Mississippi GOP, in the Element Well Studios to break that down for us. Good to see you, Lucian. Hey, good to see you too, Gerard. It's, it's always great to be on this side of the uh, <laughs> uh,
3: uh, uh, of the setup here. You know, there's not quite as much pressure over here.
1: I I agree, but you've uh, you've been handling that. Uh, quite uh effectively. Well, I I've enjoyed doing it. Appreciate appreciate yeah, you filling absolutely. in for Paul and for me. Uh as the uh that occurs and you do a fantastic job yeah. and but I know like uh like me, you have learned to appreciate. This is kind of hard, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely, it is. And you always appreciate a gregarious guest. You know, you get somebody on,
3: you ask them a question, they go, "Yeah, you're right." <laughs> you think well, we got we got twelve minutes to the next break. I'm
1: gonna need a little more than uh, yes. If I can get a little more out of you. Yeah, that's precisely right. Uh, but our, of course, the folks here do a great job of lining up fantastic absolutely. guests for us. We just had the Collins Fire Chief and the President of the Mississippi Firefighters Association, John Pope, on the program discussing. HB 521, which would establish a program, a length-of-service award program for volunteer firefighters. Interesting. It would be funded with uh, just a slight increase to uh, the diversion of the fire insurance premium tax, which which funds, of course, the fire services in the state. It would divert a sliver of that on an annual basis, about 4.8 million is what I saw in the bill. Interesting to fund this program with the goal being to serve as a retention tool, keep those folks around because they're they're hard to come by. I mean, all jobs are, of course, these days, but in particular, keeping people who you've invested so much in to train them and serve as a firefighter. And they obviously don't do it for the money, they're volunteer firefighters, right. but a little financial incentive if they to stay around uh, twenty years in this case, I think makes sense, but um, we'll see yeah, what happens down there at the legislature. Okay, so yesterday, the governor did what any chief executive does when they deliver a state of uh, their particular organization over which uh, they manage. I did the same thing. I used to call it the State of Venture Address, when I would address our entire team and talk about just how we did. And you always got to start off with with, um, pointing out the the victories, the successes. And the governor, I think, did a a very good job of that. And and one thing that I'll uh, offer uh, before I let you analyze is this governor seems to have a better feel for and an appreciation for the value of the private sector. I think, as much or more than any prior governor, it seems to be a uh, a high focus, area focus for this governor. And he talked about some of the successes in his speech yesterday, as he should. Absolutely. And I think
3: that's right about Governor Reeves. I mean, he he is somebody, he's very much like you or me from the the economic liberty school of thought. You know, he he is he recognizes, and I've heard him say this before, he didn't say this explicitly last night, but that government doesn't create jobs, government creates an environment in which jobs are created. Um, but yeah, he, he, he did a lot last night about talking about the successes of his administration, which is what you would expect. In a state of the state, it's especially what you'd expect in a state of the state in an election year. In a lot of ways, you know, these weren't campaign speeches. This was an official speech by yeah. the governor in his capacity as governor. This uh, Commissioner Presley's response was was the Democratic Party's response to the Republican governor. But if we're being honest, at some level, these this was the opening part of the conversation about the twenty three governors' race. Sure, and anytime you have. An incumbent running for re election, there are really two questions people look at. The first question is Do folks think the state's heading in the right direction? Uh, and then, secondly, if people don't think it's heading in the right direction, is the other candidate, the person who's not the incumbent, someone you trust to get it going in the right direction? Yeah. A- and so you're going to hear a lot from the Democrats and their allies in the media between now and November tearing down Mississippi, pointing out things that are wrong in the state or things they can frame up as being wrong, because they want voters to go in the voting box in November and say, no, things aren't heading in the right direction, we need to make a change. And so I think, you know, you always get a celebration of successes in these kind of state of institutions, state of the uh, state of the union, state of the state, state of a company type speeches. But I, th- I think you're going to hear a lot of that from Governor Reeves this year, both because he has great successes to talk about as governor, but sure. also because there's going to be a, a very large media establishment that's trying to push a narrative that, you know, Mississippi's in a really bad state, that everything's going terrible, uh, and it's all because the Republicans are in charge. And I think that'll be one of the things you'll continue to hear from him uh, fighting back on this year
1: yeah totally agree he opened up uh, by saying uh, not not too uh, long into his remarks and I'm uh, I'm quoting as you've heard me say before the way we measure success is in the wages of our workers the success of our students and winning the war on our values I mean that that pretty much sums it up that's right and he goes on to say in the next uh, next paragraph and then, and it's looking at the transcript but his uh, following remarks, he pointed to the increase in uh, per capita income in Mississippi, $7,000, almost 18% over the last uh, three years since 2019. I'm, I'm so pleased to see this, Lucian, and folks that tune into the program know that many times I've actually called for um, the, uh, the posting of a digital signage in the chambers (laughs) with our household income and our per capita income that are that are live in real time and are updated, with their focus being on you gotta watch that thing, you gotta push that thing up because and our rank, by the way, because as you know, we've ranked at the bottom in both categories. Absolutely. We've made progress in the governor's right, and I appreciate his work to, to elevate our household income, our per capita income, but we got, and he acknowledges this, we got work to do, but just that he's focused on it and, and actually cites the figure in the state of the state. I can't remember that ever being done before, and so I applaud him for that.
3: Yeah, well, and, you know, Governor Reeves is a numbers guy to begin with, and so that's he's going to be most comfortable talking about numbers. But to your point, you know, that is one of the most meaningful metrics. Yes. And he talks about specific job, uh, create, you know, specific major projects that have come to Mississippi, but if you're not seeing an increase in average wages in the state you know it doesn't matter to you if you're in southwest mississippi uh, that somebody up in, that there's a new project in corinth you know what matters is are you able to provide for your family at least as well hopefully better now uh, than you did four years ago and if, if when you're able to point to those sort of specific metrics and and the governor can do that both because that's the way he thinks but also because he has good statistics to point to uh, you're going to see a lot of that and so i, I think we'll hear a lot of that continuing over the course of this year.
1: Otherwise, we're just shuffling the deck, and that's the point. But but I'm serious in that our folks in the legislature in both houses, I want to put a big old sign in there, (laughs) and I'm actually not kidding about that. I want you to know that. I think it's meaningful because, as you point out, it's both a measurement of success and a goal. That's right. It it kind of has a dual purpose in in that respect. So many of the state's issues are, are addressed. Many are conquered as we watch that uh, household income per capita yeah. income go up. That's exactly right.
3: You and you can point to so many other so many other areas of the state policy areas where people have interest and concerns. And as that per capita income increases, it allows you to address those other issues exactly. You know, because, and that's part of the reason we've got a we've had a four billion dollar surplus. Uh, in the state treasury, because we have people making more, buying more, no paying more in income tax because they're making more income, um, and, and that allows you to address some of those other problems, it's including the continuing on tax relief. That's yeah. right.
1: Yeah. Uh, so when you look at education, uh, crime, health care, uh, we, we have, unfortunately, the uh, the highest uninsured rate at about 11% of the 50 states in the country. But you know what, when you see household incomes and per capita incomes go up, that's because people are working, they're generally working where employers are able to provide them insurance, and that figure then goes down, which right. takes the pressure off the health care industry. So it, it's all inextricably linked to the economic engine of the private sector. Yeah, And the, exactly governor right. gets, the governor gets that, so I applaud him for that. We've got Lucian Smith, the former chairman of the Mississippi GOP in the Element Well Studios. We're coming right back.
2: I'll do it on the side and let it ride until I die And only then shall I bite, this by I to catch little tunes, my fifty-minute ditties I want to bust balloons I want to burn all of your seeds To the
4: ground I found I will let this ride in I play And hey, I will go all day Hear what I say, I'm prepared to pray That's really all this was When I'm feeling
0: stuck in here buck I don't rely on Middays with Gerard Gibbett. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. (laughs)
1: Welcome back to Midday's Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well Studios. We're visiting with Lucian Smith, former chairman of the Mississippi GOP, and we're talking about the state of the state. We'll get to Brandon Presley's response uh, in a minute, but so we sort of covered the the private sector aspect. You remember uh, vividly during the campaign, the governor said, "We want to make Mississippi the best state of the 50 in which to do business." Not sure if you had a chance to read it yet or not, but I wrote an article uh, to that effect a couple of weeks ago, published on our Talk website, uh, just discussing my, my business experience of starting a business in, in Mississippi and building it, and and uh, a, a claiming, essentially, that, yeah, this is a good place to set up shop and, and do business. And all the folks that say you can't do that, well, I'm sort of living proof that you you absolutely can. That's right. Um And so the governor, I think, is right to point that out. And uh, I... Uh, I guess uh, applaud him for his efforts there. Let's talk about education. What do you think about that? I, well,
3: look, I mean that that is if Tate Reeves were a Democrat, if Phil Bryant were a Democrat, <laughs> you would be seeing long form stories in, in local media and national media about the Mississippi Revolution and education. And, and we for, hadn't we hadn't solved every problem. Not every child in Mississippi is getting the education that they ought to give ought to get, but. We are seeing the fruits of the 2013 Education Reform Act, the Education Works bill, that was the centerpiece of Phil Bryant's agenda that year. That that passed uh, with the support and hard work of Governor now Governor Tate Reeves and and of uh, Speaker Philip Gunn. And we're starting to, to see that come to fruition. And the the governor gave several statistics, but the one that struck out stuck out to me as the most significant is that the uh, the fourth grade math scores of African American students in Mississippi is number five in the nation. As I understood it, not number five for improvement, but the raw scores are number five in the nation. And we're so used to hearing, especially from uh, folks on the Democratic side, that Mississippi's education system is terrible, that we're the bottom uh, and laughingstock of the nation. And, and and there's still improvement to be done, but there, we have seen real successes under Republican leadership. And I would remind people, Republicans only took control of the legislature in 2012 And it was tentative control. So one of the first things they did was that massive 2013 Reform Act. And we're starting to see the benefits of it now. And what I was struck by, and I know we haven't gotten to Commissioner Presley's response, but I was struck by how little he talked about education. Not, and I'm certainly not suggesting that's not an interest of his. But these speeches, generally, by you know, on both sides, you you got a fair amount of polling data that tells you what's important to people. The fact that we're not hearing more about education, I, I'm guessing, and I hadn't seen any recent data. I would guess that people are cognizant of the fact that we've made gains in education over the course of the last decade, and people are satisfied uh, with the the way we're headed. Not, not saying we're where we should be, but that people recognize the Republicans being in charge of education is improving the quality of education for every citizen of Mississippi. Uh, and so it's just not the political talking point that five or ten years ago uh, it was. I mean, that, that's pure supposition. Uh, no, for I think me, that's but, right. But I
1: think that's—I suspect—that's the reason. Well, I think the difference is the data support it, and and so it's hard—it's hard to re- refute it when you've got uh, substantiating data. That's right. And we didn't have that when we first got control. That's that's uh, right. So now we do. We have some history. We have some experience, and it's all positive, And the trends are positive. So I think the governor was was right. Uh, Obviously, and calling attention to that, we were talking about off the off the air during the break. It's it's half the budget. That's right. I mean, the government is uh, the state government is half in the education business, and that's consistent with all the states. That's right. Public education is 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 a big uh, uh, mission. Uh, area of the state government.
3: But the big change that came because of Republican leadership, and Governor Reeves deserves a great deal of credit for this, is we stopped focusing on what we're putting into the classroom and started focusing on what's coming out of the classroom. Sure. And, and that has been a paradigm shift that's very different from the Democrats. And so, you know, they their talking point for years and years and years was that the education formula wasn't fully funded. And so they were able to say, we're not fully funding education. Well, that is true, that that formula has only only been funded twice in the 25 years that it's been on the books but we're a spending more money on education than we ever have historically but we're funding specific programs instead of funding a formula but two because of things like the third grade reading gate that ended social promotion uh, for students who can't read uh we're we're focusing on changing what's coming out of the classroom uh, and that's had a a transformational impact on folks so there's more to be done but i I think people recognize that uh education with republicans in charge is heading in the right direction in Mississippi.
1: Yeah, and the governor also has been a uh, proponent of education choice. That's right. He's, he's uh, championed some of the legislation that, uh, well, actually all of it that's in place today that that extended school choice, the education scholarship accounts, the uh, dyslexia bill, charter school bill, et cetera. we got a long way to go there, and mm-hmm. he, I think he would admit that and acknowledge that as well. But uh, and it's something to point to. You're seeing it happen across the country, though, in certain states which are breaking away. Iowa. Most uh, recently, that, that was example. incredible. Well, and that's that is something that I personally hope we will see more of
3: in this next term. We to get away from this idea that we're funding systems and start funding individual students. And you and I have talked about this before. If you're wealthy, you've got educational choice uh, in, in right. Mississippi. You can move to a better district. You can stroke a check to a private school. You you have educational choice. The people, contrary to the Democratic talking points, who benefit from educational choice are overwhelmingly low income totally Mississippians agree. because. They're not able to go buy a three hundred thousand dollar house in a good district. They're they're not able to write a ten or twenty thousand dollar check to go to a private school. They are going, they're going their their child is trapped uh, unless they've got a charter school they can get to. They are trapped in that district, going to the school in their attendance zone, uh, and moving the way Iowa has and some of these other states. Towards funding students, uh, it, it, I think will continue the transformational work that's being done in Mississippi on education by the Republican Party.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely right. Uh, and often they don't have the transportation as well to, right. to get them to a different school. So uh, hopefully we'll continue to make positive progress there. And I think that you would agree with this, Lucian. The governor keeps up with what's going on in the other states, his peers, and he's a uh, uh, number 2 person in the RGA, I believe, I, I right? think that's right. Republican that's right. Governors Association. So he's watching what's happening in Iowa. You know he isn't right that he should. That's right. Uh, Utah, too, also just uh, expanded their education uh, scholarship accounts, a school choice, the state of Iowa. We are ahead of them with respect to, I did some research on that, of uh, reducing taxes, but the governor there has got... Uh, her sights on bringing the taxation down on both individuals and corporations even more so uh, and the governor talked about signing into law the uh, historic tax reform bill last year but also acknowledged that there's more work to be done there something else he brought up uh, lucian get your take on this is um, he he referenced the certificate of need laws he uh, seemed to show he's in favor of a repealing those. I don't know that I've ever seen him make quite a strong statement as he did yesterday in opposition to existing certificate of need laws. That, that was my reaction too. I mean, I, I have always assumed
3: that Governor Reeves was a, would support repealing certificate of need laws for that same reason we were talking about earlier—that he, he's an economic liberty type conservative that mm-hmm. would be bothered by that sort of protectionism. Uh, but I, I don't. If if he has previously expressly called for repealing those laws, I don't remember it. And I think it, it certainly makes did sense. yesterday. That's right. No, no I mean, yeah, I think he was very clear last night. He supports. Uh, repealing it. And it comes in this context where the Democratic message is the way we save health care in Mississippi is to expand Medicaid. And so I think this was part of, and he was explicit, that this was one of the ways of addressing the issues we've got with rural hospitals was uh, stopping, blocking folks from coming in and having real competition and, and, and use the power of the free market to help solve some of these problems. So clearly that's one where there are a lot of solutions that are out there, but I thought it was interesting to hear him be that explicit Agree on what is a very, very controversial issue. And to his credit, it's a lot easier in an election year to stick to the meat and potatoes, popular issues. But, I mean, you start talking about Certificate of Need, you you have strong opinions out there.
1: Very strong uh, in opposition uh, thereof, and that's why we hadn't gotten anything done, honestly. But he started out his his comments regarding uh, that issue with, it starts with leveling the playing field. Absolutely, and right. this is a situation where government is controlling the playing field. They set the rules uh, such that we don't have a free market uh, in healthcare delivery. He also made a reference, which was uh, just really made me uh, so uh, so pleased. He made a reference to technology and the change in technology. Now, you and I have talked a lot about this H.B. 401, the bill that would severely restrict the sale of new vehicles in the state of Mississippi, which is being driven by advances in technology. And the governor talked about that, and and I I think I'm fully aligned with him that whether, whether it's healthcare or retail or or manufacturing or any other industry, even the legal industry, they're all being disrupted by technology. That's right. And it's government's job to get out of the way and embrace it, not try to block it. He said that yesterday. Sees that he did. As a he, solution.
3: he gets it, and I think he what he understands at a fundamental level. And there's there is an analogy to the to the CoN law. It's rare where you see protectionism grow economic prosperity what it grows prosperity happens. is competition in a free market
1: we'll catch uh, more about uh, Governor Reeves' speech yesterday and then we'll get to Brandon Presley's as well with Lucian Smith in the Element well studio we interrupt this program.
0: Gerard Gibert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. So don't
2: stop me now. Don't stop me. Cause I'm having a good time.
1: back everyone on the midday super top mississippi lucian smith our guest in the element well studios all right so lucian what well, I think we've uh, anything else you want to say uh, before we move on to brandon presley's remarks one other thing i would point out from
3: uh, governor reeve's state the state that I was struck by and appreciative of was his his talk about the capital city, uh, the need to increase the capital police force here because, you know, one of the things that the Democrats talk a lot about, but you hear it sometimes from Republicans, is the the so-called brain drain where people are leaving the state to go somewhere else and and you can get in the weeds and argue about how accurate the numbers are that are that are being offered but there's no doubt that we've got talented young people coming out of mississippi colleges and universities who are choosing to start their career somewhere else And, and what we know is that a big part of that is that young people want to live in cities. They they want to start their career somewhere that is exciting and big and offers um, things that don't happen in a suburb or a small town. You you know, you get to be my age. You kind of want a a quiet, suburb, small-town feel uh, to raise your kids in. Yeah. but kids are not looking at Jackson and getting excited to come here because of a lot of the problems that we've got not the only problem but one of them is crime and i think it's great that governor reeves and state leaders uh, are making an investment and are focusing on what they can do to make jackson a better place to live i'm biased cuz i live in the city of jackson but what we know happens is these kids go to nashville birmingham atlanta to be there in a young, you know in a hip Town, and then they meet the person they want to marry, they have kids, and pretty soon they've lived in Birmingham or Atlanta or New York City, and that becomes where they live. And if we could have more people who said, well, you know, Jackson's a big city, let's go to Jackson and live there. That seems like a good place to start out at 24. Not going to get every one of them, but you know, I think that commitment both addresses the real humanitarian issue in Jackson with crime, but it also, I think, will have uh, dividends down the line as more people choose to stay in state because they, they see a big area where they can come live.
1: Yeah, I And it's an economic issue as well. It's the population ages. We've talked about that on the program. Japan and China are both experiencing this where their populations are aging and they ain't producing enough young people to take over. And Elon Musk is warned we're running out of workers, folks, because we're we're not as inclined to propagate as we once once were. That's right. And statistics to bear that out.
3: And I'll say, in Elon's case, he practices what he preaches. He, he's uh, right. you know got eight or nine
1: kids. I You're think. right. He sure does. So uh, something else uh, before we um, get to uh, Brandon Presley's remarks, the, the education situation in the state. Just get your take on this. I, it, it appears to me. That our K through 12 education, for the most part, is geared towards preparing a student to go to college, which I think is great. Now we all know there are lots of other job opportunities besides uh, getting out of high school with a high school degree and uh, going to college and, and following that more traditional route, and then and then seeking a job that you've been prepared for uh, with your college degree. Sure, there are lots of other. Vocations that make sense for people, but I think it's great that we're improving public education in the K through 12 levels. But if all we're doing is getting them to college and getting them better prepared to succeed in college, only to watch them exit, the state's not really benefiting from that long term. That's a valid point. Um, If they don't stay, I mean, I think it's great. We certainly want our youth, our children, our students to be better educated. And uh, and and have a, a higher quality intellect and intellectual capacity. But we're sending them to the other states, unfortunately. So we're not getting the value of that long term. That's right.
3: We do have a lot of people leaving. And I, I think one of the ways you fix it is, is making Jackson a better place Agreed. for people to want to come. And I, another one is talking more about the good things that are happening in Mississippi. Because it is, you know, nobody. I gave a speech to a group of high school kids last week who were in town and made the point to them that if you're 17 years old in New York, Atlanta, Paris, France, you think wherever you are is the worst place to be. I mean that's just the nature that's of exactly being 17 right. or 18. You could be in the coolest best place ever and you'd hate it because that's what you do when you're 17 years old. That's right. And we need to do a better job of talking to, to our in addition to making sure the opportunities are here and I think Republicans are doing that, we also need to do a good job of talking to young people and helping them helping them realize that. I mean, I this is a great totally place agree. to build a business, to have a family and uh um, th- but that needs to be one of our focuses to make sure more people are staying here and doing that.
1: And I'll send you my article and I hope you'll distribute it uh, as as um, you see fit, please, as well, uh, because it's it's from the heart, honestly, and it's uh, you know. Well, just and a, you've
3: lived it. Yeah, it's it's not, and I'm not knocking you know people who haven't uh, who are in public life, but I mean it, it is meaningful hearing that, especially meaningful hearing that from somebody who's got a firsthand perspective on it.
1: Yeah, and and the point is. You, too, can do this. That's I, right. Nothing special here. You can do it as well. The opportunities avail themselves. So, uh, overall, I thought the the um, governor's speech was somewhat predictable, although I think we would agree he touched on some things that you and I would agree are positive That's that right. we maybe didn't expect, such as uh, like the CON, the yeah, CON is specific. an example, and, and certainly his his acknowledgement that, hey, technology is uprooting the world, and we got to embrace it. We can't just uh, stand in the way of it. So he did well that. So... Brandon Presley, the first thing Rhino and I talked about yesterday, maybe you can help us with a solution. Is we can't recall the last time a candidate for governor delivered the response to the sitting governor's state of the state address. We thought that was a little unusual. That
3: no, that's a valid point. Um, but if you if you think back historically, you know, four years ago. Uh, it's it's the the last time a governor was running for re-election was 2015, and the there was a primary for governor, and I think that for on the Democratic side there's yeah. a primary on the Democratic side, and I think that's one difference you've got now. The last time was 07 uh, when Haley ran against John Arthur Eaves. That here we we've got a pretty good sense of who the Democratic nominee that's is going to be. Um, and uh, I don't know that that was the case the last several times. That's
1: a good point. By default, essentially. Right. So so uh, you and I both watched the, the video, the uh, the remarks from Brandon Presley. He's the public service commissioner of the Northern District. Uh, let's be honest. Uh, he's he's a populist. He's, uh, he's a fairly articulate speaker. And he's a real folksy kind of person. And, and he starts out by talking about his background and where he grew up and I think he said he was, he was somewhat impoverished. I did not realize until he said it in the video that his father was murdered. I, did, I were didn't, you aware
3: of that? I didn't know that either. At like I,
1: age seven, did he say that? I believe. I think or a that's young correct. Age?
3: But I didn't hear, I, w- I was similarly unaware until, until his announcement video came out.
1: Okay. So And then uh, the, I said on the program here, I know a lot of folks will remember that I really felt like health care Uh, in the issues that we are faced with in the state of Mississippi along those lines, that Brandon Presley would make that the top issue uh, in the campaign. He would drive that to the top of the list. Well, he records the video, as you know, inside a closed hospital facility in Newton, Mississippi. That's right. And it's dark intentionally. The lights aren't on, and you can see some medical equipment. It looks like he's maybe in a patient room, perhaps, where, where the video is recorded. I couldn't tell based on the field of view, but he, he did, in fact, I, the main issues he focused on, in my view, were health care, and he talked expressly about Medicaid expansion and the, and the need there. Uh, he also talked about elimination of the grocery tax as opposed to elimination of the income tax, that he thought that was more appropriate, something that could be done uh, right now. And he just also made the point that he's not connected to the so-called rich and powerful. He kind of made a little plug at the end there uh, about that, that you can just find me anywhere and give me a call and look me up. I'm not going to be underneath the chandelier, of course, referring (laughs) to the chandelier hanging in the governor's mansion. Of course, if he's elected, he would be, unless he chooses to live somewhere else. That's right. Uh, with uh, around the rich and powerful tinkling their glasses I think t- is what he said or tingling their glasses pardon me what do you think
3: I mean, look—he's going to run a very populist campaign, and I think the, the the message you saw in his response to the state of the state very much was consistent with what he said in his announcement video. Some of it was the same. It's going to be a, uh, this suggestion that regular people are getting left behind in Mississippi while the elites are, are prospering with the Republicans. Um, And I think that's the message he's got to run with. Um, And let me say this. I have no doubt uh, that Tate Reeves is going to be our governor a year from now. But I think anybody who underestimates Brandon Presley is making a huge mistake. I mean, this is somebody who has been elected multiple times in a large district in North Mississippi uh, as a Democrat. Now, I think being a Democrat is going to prove to be a millstone around his neck as we get towards the general election. But but Brandon Presley is a very, very talented retailer. Politician. He's a great speaker. Uh, He's very likable, and that that populist message is going to resonate with some folks. Now, it comes back to what we said at the beginning. People have got to ask themselves are we headed in the right direction? Are we headed in the wrong direction? And I I think the facts are on Tate Reeves' side that Mississippi's headed in the right direction, and I think most people are going to see that come November, but you're going to hear more and more. Uh, from the Democrats, from Commissioner Presley, about what they can frame up as having gone wrong under Republican leadership. And so I, I think I think last night really was the, the opening of that conversation, and you saw what's going to be the key core messages from both sides.
1: It was the salvo, no doubt. We've got Lucian Smith in the Element Lo- Wealth Studios. We've got a final segment coming up with Lucian after the break. Stay with us. <laughs>
0: Mississippi. Gerard Gibbert. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: says the government better recognize the skilled labor shortage in our country as appliance technician my service call on a local call is 105 120 an hour labor I know that's right Paul I just had to pay that price last week for some appliance repair at my home I totally agree so I and I wasn't uh, whatsoever dismissing the need and the value of uh, so Paul is one and of course uh, of the trades no doubt about it I'm simply saying that our, our K-12 education is pretty much geared. It doesn't mean that you're not preparing a person to seek uh, an occupation in the trades. All I'm saying is, I think it's great that we're improving K-12 education state of Mississippi. But unless we keep those people here... We're not getting the long-term return on that investment. Yeah, that's, I, that's the point I make. I, I I
3: agree with you on that point, and I also think you know we're we're doing a somewhat better job, and I think Accelerate Mississippi's got some programs along this line of talking to people about going into the trades because a it's a great living. Yep. Um. You know that that is what I I heard somebody once refer to as two cars and a boat kind of jobs. I mean, you you have a very very good life. Good point. And, and there are a lot of people who are going taking on debt to get 4 or 5 6 years worth of uh college, you know, graduate school who financially would have been much better off if they'd gone to a, a welding program or gone and, and learned another skilled trade where you really are getting into six figure jobs um that that are not going anywhere. I mean you're we're unlikely in the short term. Now, there's some efforts, I know, to bring robots in to change tires and that sort of thing. Yeah. But, I mean, it's going, we're a long way away from a robot showing up to fix your uh, electrical system, show up to deal with plumbing, right. show up to weld something. I mean, that, that those are not going away, whereas I, I know they're working on AI to take the place of lawyers. So yeah, uh, there, there may be some lawyers looking into the skilled All trades right, at it's some it's- point.
1: It's more than just lawyers, by the way. I, um, I've, I've got a couple of great books that talk about that. One is called Human and Machine that uh, was written by someone that worked at the firm. I used to work at a long time ago before I started my business. But it, it's it's a fascinating kind of look into the future of how that will uproot everything. I think this governor gets that, though. I will tell you that. Yeah, absolutely. I do believe that. All right, Brandon Presley, so it was, it was health care. He made a big point. The other thing, he, I think, tried to loosely connect... Uh, the governor to the TANF scandal. And you know he's going to keep doing that. Uh, I think that's politically popular to his base. How effective that would be if he intends to get maybe any crossover voters? Not sure.
3: Well, I mean, at some point you're going to have to be able to really to governor reeves and and I based on the reporting I've seen I, I don't think you're going to be able to do that I mean I, I and absent that I don't think that's going to be as potent but I think you're right you're going to hear that over and over and over again uh, between now and and November course
1: populist that's right I mean that's that's uh, right down the middle for a populist um, I've talked to to Brandon before here on the program he would describe himself as an FDR populist an FDR Democrat and I, and I think that um I'd say that's probably correct. He also talked about it is a little unusual, if you think about it, uh, for a Democrat to discuss reducing any taxes. In this case, he, he uh, proposes to eliminate the grocery tax. I didn't hear him say anything about the income tax. He may have said the grocery tax in lieu of the income tax, but I've never heard him really offer any, any position on income tax. But grocery tax, certainly. Made well, that and, very clear, and yes. it comes
3: it comes back to the um, it comes back to that sort of populism that um, that we were talking about. That you know the grocery tax is going to impact middle and lower income people more than um, an additional income tax cut, at least in terms of direct relief to them a- as they would perceive it. Now, whether that you know if you if you actually look at the the broader economic effect and whether they're going to end up with more money in their pocket, I think is an open question. But yeah. I think as a as a political talking point, that's a very very uh, a very, very good point. It's
1: a more regressive reduction, I think is one way to put it. And then, of course, that likely leaves a hole in municipal budgets that would have to be uh, discussed and accounted for as well. You may recall that I think there were some amendments offered to the original House bill to eliminate the income tax, which would have also reduced the grocery tax. And it came back, the Speaker did, and said, well, we've got a plan now to make the, the cities whole. Uh, for the loss of that revenue, that's where they get the majority right. of their revenue. That, that sales tax gets diverted to—I uh, mean, ultimately goes back to the cities, as opposed
3: to income tax, which is predominantly in the in the general fund, absent some sort of appropriation. Yeah,
1: eighteen point two percent of the total collected by the state of sales taxes goes back to the municipalities where the transaction was completed. But appreciate you coming in, Lucian. We'll have fun with this for sure. I know we'll be talking some more, and you'll be filling in. So absolutely, George. Great to see you. Lucian Smith has been our guest as we wrap up middays here from the Element Well Studios. We appreciate you so much for joining us today. We'll be back in the studios again tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.